<laughs> it is good to see everybody here this evening. If you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 is where our first passage will come from this evening. Before we begin, I want to ask you for one thing for the next few days. Most of you know that we are from the Panama City area. Uh, we live about 20 miles directly north of Panama City. The hospital where I work is in Panama City. It is only about four blocks from the Gulf. And that's going to be ground zero, supposedly where the hurricane hits. Uh, my unit, the cardiac unit, is on the fifth floor of a five-floor tower. And some of my friends are going to be there tomorrow, uh, and even some of your brethren. There's a couple of people that work there that are members of the church. So I hope that you will remember all of that in your prayers and that things won't be too bad. Uh, the hospital is supposed to be built to withstand a Category 5 hurricane, but I hope we don't find out whether that's true or not. So you keep them in your prayers, and I would appreciate that. We'll be here tomorrow night, and then I have to be back Thursday late afternoon. So we'll be making our way back after, that, after we get through with the meeting here. So keep that in mind and keep them in your prayers. I would appreciate that. We're going to talk tonight about changing our lives. And anytime I talk about this, I, my wife's going to love this story. It's an old girlfriend story, but I can remember a long, 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 long time ago, I had a girlfriend, and we were at her house, and I was talking to her, and we were kind of arguing a little bit about the Bible, and of course I was telling her things, some things she needed to change, which actually was true. But the girl walked out of the room, and her mother, who was about as ungodly as you could find, was sitting there listening to all that. And when her daughter walked out of the room, she looked at me and she said, you do know you're wasting your time, right? I said, what do you mean? She said, you're wasting your time. And I said, well, why are you saying that? She said, because people don't change. Not really. And that was 40 years ago. And that has just stuck with me and I've always remembered that. And from time to time, things happen that would remind me of that. I can remember at the time uh, thinking, well, that's, that's really depressing to think that if that's true. And as, after I got children and I remembered that statement and they'll never change, that really got depressing then. There's no hope at all. But of course, that's really absurd because we know from experience that people can change their lives. The apostles knew that people can change their lives. That's why they spent their life trying to convince people to change. And we have examples of people doing that. But one of the most interesting to me is in Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul is making an argument about the resurrection. And there's a lot of different approaches to that. There's a lot of different arguments to be made to convince us that Jesus was raised from the dead, that it's a true story, that it really did happen. But what's interesting in Acts chapter 26 is, is that the Apostle Paul 
uses as his argument the change that had taken place in him, in his life. He's arguing for the resurrection and he says, look at this great change that's taken place in my life. And the only explanation for that is that when I tell you I saw the risen Christ, I'm telling you the truth. That's the only reason that you would look at that and, and be able to answer that Jesus really was raised from the dead. That I changed my life so drastically. In Acts chapter 26, verses 4 and 5, he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. In verse 9, he says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even under strange cities. But then he tells the story of when he was on the road to Damascus and the Lord appears to him. And then in verse 19, he says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient. To the heavenly vision. But showed first unto them of Damascus and in Jerusalem. And throughout all the coast of Judea. And then to the Gentiles. That they should repent and turn to God. And do works meet for repentance. He says I went from chasing and killing Christians. To preaching Christ to people. And trying to convince them to become Christians. And the in-between event that caused that great change was me knowing that Jesus had been raised from the dead because I talked to him and he talked to me. The change in his life is his argument for the resurrection from the dead of Jesus. So we see that in Paul's life, a great change took place. And most of us have known people that... You know the change that's taken place in their life. I can remember a, a place that I worked, and I won't call the man by name because the first half of this story is not too great. The second half is wonderful. But I worked with this man, and, and he was really bad. He was a wild cowboy, and he was a trail driver. And if you're not familiar with trail drives in Texas... Every year they have the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And for weeks before that takes place, there are people in different parts of Texas that they gather together and they form an old-fashioned trail drive with real old wagons and mules and horses. And they ride, some of them, almost all the way across Texas to try to get to the Reliance Stadium or the Astrodome or wherever they're having it by just about in time for the rodeo. And those trail drives are not very good places to be if you're trying to do what's right. There's a lot of drunkenness. There's drugs. There's carousing. There's filthy language. There is violence. 
just about everything you can name that's bad happens on those trail drives. And he was part of that. He was right in the middle of that. We worked together, and, and, and I can remember one day that he and another fellow got in a fight. And we worked in this little room. There was about three or four desks there. About four or five of us worked in that room. And I can literally remember getting up on top of my desk and standing on top of my desk while he and another fellow fought in the floor beneath us. We were trying to stay out of the way. Now, let me tell you about that man. He is a story that 30 years later just makes me feel good because we got a chance to study with him. He was converted, became a very good, strong Christian. And then he became a very good, strong deacon. And then for many years, he was a very good, strong elder in the Lord's church. And he's still faithful to this day. I'm telling you, people can change. In fact, most of us could tell our own stories, couldn't we? Most of us could tell our own stories of the way we used to be and we're not that way anymore. Now, we, we try not to do that because we don't want our kids to know those things, right? But if we were to be open and honest, most of us have our stories that we could tell. Things that we did in the past, we're, we're not proud of those things, but we really did those things. But we changed our lives. We decided that things were going to be different and we were going to be faithful Christians. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul talks this list of all these bad things they were. And he says, such were some of you. You used to be like that, you people at Corinth. But you're not like that now. It's past tense. You have changed your life for the better. And so these people, they're not perfect. It's not that they never ever do anything wrong anymore. But there's been a a big change that's taken place in their lives. So this idea that people can't change, it's not just sad, it's just wrong. Because the Bible teaches us over and over again that we are going to have to change our lives. To get to heaven, we're going to have to change our lives. Look at some with me. Look at Ephesians In Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin there in verse 20. It says, But you have not so learned Christ, if so be that you have heard of Him, have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation. That that conversation is, is the old life, okay? Your former life. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You put off the the old man, you, you get rid of that old life you used to live, the things you used to do, and now you put on the new man, and that new person, that changed person is created in righteousness and true holiness. Look at Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4 beginning, he says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism in the death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. 
We walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Which is what we were doing. That same chapter there. You continue to look at it in verse verse 11. He says, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. You know what dead people do? Not much, do they? They don't do anything. And he says, when it comes to sin, you consider yourself to be dead to sin. Don't get involved. Don't take part in that. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't do that anymore. Well, we used to do that. It says don't do that anymore. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Not like you used to. It's a different thing. Verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, and being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. And so what you have here is a great change that's taking place. When we actually fit into Romans 6 like we should, certainly a great change is taking place. And of course, we're, we're all familiar with Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Be transformed, be changed. Let this change take place in your life. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 where he tells us that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Not the old one, not the way we were, but a new creature, a different creature, a different person. Listen, I mean, let's just remember the word repentance for just a second. The word repentance literally means changing things. Repentance is when I change my mind and it ends up in a change of my life and how I live my life. When we're told in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. That repent there means you've got to change your life. You've got to be a different person. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, we're told that the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So listen, everybody, everybody, anybody who's going to be a Christian, you're going to have to change your life. And you're going to have to figure out what that means, figure out where your life needs to change. But the biggest thing you're going to have to understand is how to get that to take place. How to make that happen. And so this evening for the rest of the night, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about how do I change? 
I don't want anybody raising your hands, not looking for any open confession at this point right now. But let me ask you something. How many of you have something that really is a hard thing for you? Something that you know is not right and it's a really hard thing for you to control. And it may be that you find yourself engaging in that over and over again when you have many times made up your mind you weren't going to do that anymore. I'm just going to tell you that's not uncommon. You're not going to be the Lone Ranger if you have something like that. Now, I'm not saying it's okay. I am saying you've got to figure it out. But you're not the only one that's ever had anything like that. And I want to encourage you to understand that you can overcome. You can overcome anything in the world, in your life. That is wrong and God does not want you to have in your life. But you've got to understand how to do that. And I'm going to give you a very simple answer. And it it might seem actually simplistic to you tonight. But I want to assure you it's not. It's straight out of the Bible. It is really how it works. And you need to learn how to use it if you have a problem like that. And it's just like diagnostics with a car. God made us. He made our bodies. He made our minds. God knows how we work. Now, if somebody makes a computer and it's messing up on you, I've got a Hewlett Packard, right? Who would you call? You'd call the Hewlett Packard guy, wouldn't you? If if one of those, does they even still exist? I don't know if they still exist or not. But if you have an Apple phone and it's messing up, who are you going to call? You're going to call the Apple phone guy. Go say, show me how to work this thing. What's wrong with it? Because he knows how it works. I don't know how you work, but let me promise you, God knows how you work. God knows how your mind works. God is the one who made your mind. And in the Bible, he tells us how it works, where we can diagnose our problem And how to get it straightened out and get it under control. So how do I change my life? Sometimes you see people and they try to control it from the outside. And it's almost like they try to tie themselves up. You know, we we use our body to do things, right? So their body's doing things and they just know, well, I'm not supposed to be doing it. And and it's almost like they just want to just tie themselves up. Where it can't do that anymore. And it doesn't work. Because eventually it's going to get loose. That doesn't work. I want to point out to you two verses to begin the answer to this. The first one is in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Where it says, keep thine heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Okay, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And what that's telling you is what happens in your life comes from your heart. Now, we would say your mind. The Bible heart is your mind. There's a parallel passage, it's kind of parallel, in Proverbs 23, verse 7, where it's talking about... People And it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
As you think in your heart, that's how you end up being. Whatever the issues that come out in your life are, they come from your heart. And so here's what all that boils down to. I'm going to give you a profound statement. It's about as profound as Steve gets, okay? I think what I think, uh, excuse me, I do what I do because I think what I think. Think about that a little bit. I do what I do because I think what I think. Because the issues of my life come out of what I think. Whatever I end up being comes from how I think about things. So I do what I do because I think what I think. And the next step in that is this. If I'm doing wrong, it's because I'm thinking wrong. If I have something in my life that I know the Bible says is wrong, God says don't be doing that, and I just can't seem to stop. I keep doing that and doing that. The reason I keep doing that is because I'm thinking wrong and I keep on thinking wrong and I never get it fixed. And so the answer is that if I'm doing wrong, I'm thinking wrong and to change my life, I'm going to have to figure out what I'm thinking about all this that just is not right. And I'm going to have to learn to think different about it. And that happens to be exactly what God tells us about that. Look back at Romans chapter 12 now. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. You've got to get things changed. And now just listen to the next few words. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you get the transformation in your life? By the renewing of your mind. The old way your mind is working, the old way you're looking at this is not good. It is wrong thinking and it leads to wrong action. So you need to have your mind renewed. You need to learn how to think differently about this. And when you learn the different thinking, you will be able to transform your life and change what you're actually doing regarding that. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we were just over there. And notice verse 23 a little more closely now. Verse 22 says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You're to put off the old man. You become the new man who is created in righteousness and true holiness. How do you make that transformation? How do you get from the old man to the new man, this new kind of person? Verse 23, by being renewed in the spirit of your mind, by learning to think different. Now, go over to the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, verse 9. He says, lie not one to another, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. Now listen to this. The new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. 
I've got to figure out how to change my mind. So here's the thing. If I'm doing wrong, it's because I'm thinking wrong. To change my doing, I've got to change my thinking. But I've got to know what to change my thinking to. So here's what you need to do. You need to remember that God always knows best. You need to remember that God is the one who is the wisest of all. He gives us everything that we need that pertains to life and God. And so whatever answers you actually need, you're going to be able to find them in his word. And what this book is, what this book is, is the word of God. Now, some of these phrases we use, sometimes they just kind of flip off our tongue and, and we need to slow down a little bit. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to say this is the word of God? Well, it's God's word. It is God talking to you and to me. And let me tell you, in in the context of what we're talking tonight about renewing our mind and learning to think different, I've got to find a better way to think. And what better way to think about anything is there than how God thinks about it? And that's what the book is about. This Bible... When it talks about things like our lives and how we're supposed to be in our lives, this Bible is God telling us what God thinks about that. It is God's thinking on these subjects. Okay, now stick with me. God gives commandments on those subjects. I mean, that's what I'm violating when I'm not doing right. So the question would be, why did God give those commandments? In other words, when it comes to this subject, why did God give that commandment about this subject? And the answer is because of how God thinks about it. God commands what he commands because he thinks what he thinks. Now I'm over here doing the wrong actions because I have the wrong thinking. So when you put all that together, here's this, what you need to do. I need to learn to think different. I wonder what God thinks about that. So I go to the Bible and I find out how God thinks about it, how God looks at it. And I make that my thinking. That's my renewal of my mind. And once I learn to think about things the way God does, guess what's going to happen? You now understand why God commanded what he commanded regarding that. And when you begin to look at it the way God does, it makes it a lot easier for you to obey God and have the actions in your life that God commands. Because now you're in agreement with God. You think like God thinks, not because God changed, but because I changed. And now it's much easier for me to obey God and do what he commands regarding these subjects. Another interesting passage to me. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is another passage. And it just just shows us that the battle, our warfare, even though some of the things are outward, it all begins inwardly. It all has to do with thinking and our thoughts that, that lead to our ways. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3 beginning, he says, Though we walk after the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Okay? We have what we need to pull down strongholds. Well, what are the strongholds here? It's people's thinking. That's what it is. To begin with, he talks about casting down imaginations. Now, if you have a footnote in your Bible, it will say reasonings. We cast down reasonings, and it's talking about wrong reasonings. I like the old King James word. It is imaginations. Somebody imagined it. God didn't say it. It's not what God revealed. Somebody just made it up. They imagined it. And it's wrong reasoning. And we cast that down with what? With truth. Then it says, and everything, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Boy, we see, if you understand what that's talking about, we see a lot of that in our day and time. And I'm sorry if you're involved in it, but in academia, in the universities, in the colleges, we see a lot of that now. Where people are wise in their own eyes. They are so full of themselves that anybody having to do with any kind of religion and mentioning that God says anything, we are just crazy. And we're closed-minded. And we're ignorant. And they highly exalt their thinking against anything in the Bible that God would say. And I want you to notice that our job is to cast that down. How do you do that? With God's word. And it has to do with thinking. And the next verse tells us that what we are trying to do is to bring into captivity every thought. To what? To the obedience of Christ. You see, it all has to do with the thinking. It's all about the thoughts and the reasoning. When we take what God's reasoning is, and let me tell you something. If you will take God's reasoning, I promise you, you're better armed than they are. Now, you may not be as smart as they are, but I promise you, God is. And if you will just say what God says, it will be powerful in that kind of situation. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 11 says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And I just love to quote that and just say to you, if you're going to talk about religion or life or anything that's important, just say what God says. Just say what God says. Now, you're going to need to know what God says. But just say what God says. You will always be safe. And you will always have the truth. And you will always be better armed than the other person if you will just say what God says. And what you're trying to do when you do that is affect the thinking of other people. To get everybody to think and look at things, think about things the way God does. Because when we get their thinking there, it's a lot easier to get people, including myself, if we're working on ourselves, to obey God. 
we have to realize that God's way is always best. It's always best. That's one of the biggest things that, that, that we have to get across to each other. God always knows best. Way back in Deuteronomy in chapter 6, in talking about the commandments of God, we are told that the commandments of the Lord our God are for our good always. His commandments are always the best for us. And we have to learn to think that way. And trust that way. You remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on your own understanding. The way you look at things. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Let him guide you. Even when you disagree with him. Even when you don't see it the way God does. Then change how you see it. Listen to God who is wiser and smarter and more understanding than we are of ourselves. And let him guide us in the way our lives should be. We have to learn how to change our thinking. So now let's bring it down to some application. One of the first things I'm going to have to to do is, is accept what sin is. Uh, just recently you hear people say, well, that's just a sin. And I mean, they may be talking about eating too much chocolate ice cream or something. I mean, they just, they don't even know what they're talking about. They don't know what sin is. First John three, four says sin is transgression of the law. When we transgress God's law, that is sin. I'm going to tell you, that definition is cut and dried. I hate to be so definite on you, but that is cut and dried. When we violate God's word, when we go against God's word, that is sin. Whether I think it's a big deal or not, that's sin and God thinks it's a big deal. And if I don't get straightened out, eventually I will too. I have to accept that any violation of God's word is sin. And it leads to spiritual death. Sin is never good. That might be enjoyable, but it's never good. The wages of sin is death. I need to understand people die because of sin. When I sin, I die spiritually. And I don't even want to get into an argument of how many does it take for me to die and be lost. Listen, the wages of sin is death. Do we want to argue with that? When God, who is the judge, tells us that's the way it is. Sin leaves a spiritual void in me. And it makes me feel guilty. Makes me feel bad. You know why sin makes me feel bad and feel guilty? Because it's bad and I'm guilty when I do that. It's real. And I need to listen to that. And I need to understand that sin brings misery. Not not just in eternity if we die like that. But sin brings misery now. Sin brings misery in the lives of people now, today. And suffering I couldn't tell you how many stories I have of children who suffer because of sin. Let me encourage you to go down to Mexico, go down to Central America, go over to Uganda, places like that. 
Just look at the children. Look at the, the, the lives that they have to live. It'll make you cry. It'll make you stay up at night. 30 years later, you will remember the two boys that were laying sleeping in the middle of the night on a winter night in the sidewalk of a town called San Cristobal de las Casas in southern Mexico. And they didn't have any clothes on. And were sleeping on the concrete sidewalk. You never forget stuff like that. And it was because their mother was a sinner running the streets, if you know what I mean. Suffering. Sin brings suffering. But the devil wants to glamorize it. The devil wants to make sin look appealing and wonderful and great. The devil wants it to, wants it to be attractive to us. And I'm going to tell you something. If, if we get to thinking about sin in a certain way, we're going to take part. If it can be made glamorous enough, if it can be made attractive enough, we will take part if we, we begin thinking the way they want us to. Now listen, the devil understands that. And the world understands that. Do you understand that the advertising world is a billions upon billions of dollars a year industry? And the whole advertising world, what it's about is to get you and I to think about things in a certain way. Let me give you an example. Have you ever seen the commercial where the cowboy is sitting on his horse and the first view is way down in the valley and there's this big, vast herd of cattle and it's a trail drive. They're driving the cattle to market. And it is a dry, dusty valley, and the, the, the cattle are churning up the dirt and the dust, and, and you're way up above them, there's just this brown cloud floating above the herd of cows. And you understand, boy, that, that's pretty bad down there. And the next view, the cowboy, he's ridden down the mountain. I don't know how he got there so fast, but he's down the mountain. And now he's driving the cattle and he's in the drag of the herd. For those of you who aren't from Texas and don't do that stuff, that's the back of the herd. The worst place you can be because everything comes back on you there. And it shows him he's on his cutting horse and he's going back and forth. And it does a close up on the cowboy and all this dust is caked to his face. And he's sweating. It's so hot. And he's got rivers of sweat cutting gullies in the, the, the mud on his face. And you're sitting there thinking, man, he is hot. I don't know how he gets there so fast, but the very next scene, he's up in the mountains. And he's by this cold mountain stream. And you know it's cold because there's still snow on the edges of the stream. And he reaches down into the water and he pulls up a six pack of beer. And you know that beer's cold because that beer was in that water that had the snow on the side of it there. And there's little ice bits running off the cans. And he pulls one of those cans of beer off and he pops the top on an ice cold bush beer. And it's bush beer. And the foam comes out, and he's right, and you're, you're like, the sweat's on the face, you're like, drink it, man, drink it. 
And he goes to drinking and you're just sitting there thinking, oh man, that, that's got to be ice cold. That's bound to feel so good for him to drink that beer right then. And when you look at it like that, you know what you're going to end up doing. If you keep thinking it out, you're, you're going to go down to the store and you're going to buy yourself some bush beer. That's why they make the commercial. The, the world understands that we do what we do because we think what we think. And they are trying to shape our thinking. It works. She was a 10-year-old girl. Beautiful little blonde-headed girl. She lived in Cedar Park, Texas. Her mom and daddy were divorced. She didn't get to see her daddy very much. But she played softball at the LCP League. And every Saturday, one thing she could count on during the season was that was the day she got to see daddy. Because daddy was one of her coaches. Daddy was the third base coach for her team. And she lived for Saturday. She always knew when she was batting, she knew where to find Daddy. Daddy was in the third base coaching box. When she got a hit, she always knew where to look to see Daddy telling her, great job, he was in the third base coaching box. When she came around and scored, she always knew where to run to to jump in Daddy's arms and let him pat her and tell her, get back in the dugout now. She loved her daddy. One Saturday, they had a game. She got to do all that with her daddy. That was daddy's birthday. And daddy decided to go celebrate his birthday. So he went out and he had too much to drink. And he got on a road in the western part of Austin, Highway 2222, which is a really winding mountain road on the west side of Austin. And he made curve after curve, driving drunk until he didn't make one of them. He was killed in a car wreck. The next Saturday, she was standing out at second base. She stood out at second base with her glove and her hat in her hand. With tears rolling down her cheeks and falling into the infield dirt. While we had a moment of silence. And we placed her daddy's hat in the third base coaching box. And she understood daddy was never going to be in the third base coaching box again. I used to ride with a highway patrolman quite a bit at nighttime in Austin. He was the husband of one of the ladies who was a member of our, member of our church. And I think he wanted to test me one night just to see if I could handle what he had to handle. So he took me to the office, the highway patrol office. And he, along the way before we got there, he was going to show me some pictures. Before we got there, he told me the story of Barefoot Betty. Okay, Barefoot Betty lived on the west side of Austin. And all the law enforcement knew about Barefoot, Be- Barefoot Betty. And the only thing, there was two things you always knew about her. Barefoot Betty was going to be barefoot. 
and she was going to be drunk. She made the rounds of all the redneck beer joints out in the country areas. And she was known to all of them. Barefoot Betty had two little boys. I believe they were five and seven years old. Cute little boys. And Barefoot Betty's children were pretty much alone. Who knows? I don't even know if they knew who their daddy was, much less where their daddy was. He was not not anywhere around. And Barefoot Betty didn't let those boys slow her down. She made all the rounds of the beer joints. And she would take her two little boys with her. And she would go in the beer joint and those two little boys would sleep in the back seat of her car. And those two little boys were tight. They were tight. The older brother wasn't very old, but he knew he was older than than his younger brother. And he watched out for him and he took care of him. He was a little hard on him sometimes, but he was looking out for his little brother. One night, Barefoot Betty left the beer joint with her two little boys sleeping in the back seat of the car. Barefoot Betty ran up under an 18-wheeler that night, killed her and both her little boys. Now, the picture I got to see was of those two little brothers. They laid them on the same gurney in the morgue. Two little brothers and the older one a little higher than the other, just just like he was still watching out for his little brother. And the little bodies were just torn up. And they were laying there side by side on that gurney in the morgue. Dead. Because Barefoot Betty, their mama, was a drunk. And they paid the price. Let me ask you something. Do do you have any appeal, any laughing or anything about an ice cold bush beer the cowboy was drinking now? Does it appeal to you at all? Is it funny at all that the Bush commercials like that? Let me ask you, what changed? You know, a few minutes ago, we were all laughing, including me, about the cold Bush beer. What changed? Let me tell you what changed, what we were thinking about. In the last two or three minutes, we renewed our thinking on the price of drunkenness and that kind of sin. And it just doesn't appeal like it did, does it? And what I'm telling you is that's just a little example of how it works. If something is so appealing to you that it's sinful that you can't stay away from it, you better start thinking, finding a different way to look at it. And you can. That's what the Bible's for. This is God's thinking, and God will tell you how to look at that and how to think about it to make it easier on you to do what's right. And here tonight, I promise you, you can change your life. I promise you, you can change your life if you need to. And I know that because God says you can. 
and he commands you to do it. You've just got to renew your thinking. So, tonight, let me just ask you to think about your life. Have you been baptized? Are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? You know, Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. We talked about this. If you haven't done that, the question is, why not? I I very kindly ask you, why not? What's holding you back? Well, you're thinking some way about it. And however it is that you're thinking about it, maybe that you would be embarrassed to do it in front of everybody. Maybe you don't think that you can live right after that. There's all kinds of reasons I've heard. And I would just ask you, change your thinking. We all want you to be baptized tonight because we care about you. And I promise you, you have nothing to be embarrassed about. We've all done that ourselves who are Christians. We all want you to be saved tonight and begin your road to heaven. But by the way, I will tell you, there is somebody here who doesn't want you to do that. And he's going to be in your head. And that's the devil. The devil doesn't want you to do that. And as we sing the song of invitation, the devil may be whispering in your ear, don't don't put the songbook up, just keep on singing. Keep singing. In fact, if you need to, reach up, there's a pew right in front of you, just kind of grab hold of it. Hang on. Don't get crazy now. Don't go down there and be baptized or anything like that. The devil's going to work on you to keep you from obeying God. And let me encourage you, don't listen to him. Listen to the Lord when he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Don't you want to be right with God? Don't you want to have a hope of going to heaven? You've got to get started with that. You've got to get started at it while you still have a chance to do that before it's too late. And so I ask you, if you need to come to Christ, then do it. Come tonight and let us help you while together we stand and while we sing.